Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with with us this morning. Help me to to um, bring out the the treasures that are in your Word, Lord. Um, um, things that we can that we can celebrate and that we can admire and like recognize that you are are truly an amazing God. Um, help us to to know you more and to know your Son through through hearing the Word this morning. And I pray that you would be with the folks who are here. Help them to hear from you and to know you more intimately. Um, draw them into your presence. Uh, create in them. Just fertile soil for for the seeds of your word to be planted in Jesus' name, Amen. I uh, I I think any of y'all have uh, Christmases in your past that you remember very fondly that stand out, you know, for for one reason or another. I I uh, I expect if I went around the room and asked people, which I'm not going to today, um, but maybe next week, um, and I I'd, I'd hear memories of gifts or. Or you know the year I got that BB gun I wanted, or or what have you. You know the 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 perfect uh, the perfect moment. Um, and I I have one of those, although it's uh, it's it's not from when I was a child. It was when I was a lot younger. Um, my my last year of college, um, Jessica was living in Houston, and we've been dating about long distance. About how many months? What six, eight, four? Wow. <laughs> Uh, about four months. It seemed like a lot longer. Um, and and she flew out to Chicago and visited me. And and I remember um, just spending that week with her. And it was it was one of the best Christmas weeks. Like it was it was a bit before Christmas because I I think I flew to California to be with a with my family. But it was in the weeks preceding. And and we spent that that week together. And I I there are, I mean just several points in time we went to a museum and spent the day together. And I remember actually getting a flat tire in a snow slash rainstorm. It's something she's teased me about for years. Uh, It's not a very nice story. Uh, uh, I remember uh, walking with her one night. We went out to a restaurant. We walked back to the dorms, and and it was snowing heavily. And and we we stopped under a streetlight, and she had these huge snowflakes in her hair. You know what I'm talking about? And it's, it's one of the prettiest moments I've, I've seen her, I mean, just, and it's, you know, it's just that, that week, I think back to it, you know, many years later, and, and just everything about it, I, I just, I, I love it, you know what I'm talking about, one of my favorite memories, and I'm sure you all have those, right, um, I, I, I discovered, though, over the years, is a strange thing that happens after you've been married a little while, you, you stop doing that stuff, you know what I'm talking about, you stop noticing, you, you stop paying attention. You stop. I, I remember writing love notes when we were dating. I'm pretty sure I did that. And I I, <laughs> I don't think I did again. I, I, I know I fell off of a lot of those things, and I didn't pick them up again for years. Um, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Like all these things you did when you were dating that, that are just so special and wonderful and important and vital, like sitting up all night and talking, and you get to 20 years later, and all of a sudden having a 30-minute conversation is a real challenge. You know, <laughs> and... And you stop just stopping and, and saying, man, you know, like, you're, you're beautiful today. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's that familiarity that, that sometimes you stop paying attention. Um, right? I worried about that moving to Big Sandy that I would, that I would stop noticing the mountain ranges, um, how, how just, just breathtaking they are, right? Especially, you know, now when it, they're covered in snow and the clouds tend to sit low on them and, and you just can stop and think about how amazing it is that we serve a God that made that. Um, 
as we dive into this, this sermon this week, this bit of Christmas, we're working our way through Matthew's account of Christmas. And, and I, I'm starting with this as the point because um, if you've gone to church any length of time, you've heard sermons on just about every Christmas passage that, that is in the Bible at least 35 times, right? I mean, I mean you, you just there's only so many Christmas verses, and you've got to revisit them. I didn't realize that the, the genealogy, I preached on that several years ago, so I did it twice. And I didn't remember doing it, so I must have bored myself, uh, which is a real accomplishment. Um, but, but as we get into this, the, there's some cool stuff here, some stuff that's, that's breathtaking, some stuff that's beautiful, some stuff that's amazing, that it's easy to lose sight of, and it's easy to grow over-familiar with, and to stop paying attention to. And, and what I want us to do this morning as we work through it, I want us to stop and just appreciate how much is in this passage, right? And how far God has gone on our behalf and how much your creator, how much God loves you and, and will go to any distance for you. And so, so that's kind of the theme of what we're going to be talking about today. Um, last week we did the genealogy and we started out on Matthew's gospel. And uh, I'm going to kind of hit on a couple high points here. Uh, Matthew was, was Jewish. Right. Most of the disciples were. In fact, all of them were. And uh, as as Matthew writes here, um, Matthew is emphasizing God fulfilling like big promises through Jesus. I mean, his whole gospel is about how all of the Old Testament built up to this and that Jesus is showing up as is God, like making good on his promises. And and a big part of that, like last week in this genealogy, which I know we all love genealogies. Um, it, it's all about Jesus being this, this new King David, right? Like this, this new like replacement for King David who will be king forever over all of his people and, and this huge emphasis in it. And, and so as we get into this, like that's still front and center. Um, real quick, one other thing, there's a bit of a custom issue here. Um, betrothal, so, and marriage in the ancient world. When you... If you were an ancient Jewish person, dating was much easier because you didn't do it. Um, you would have somebody, uh, generally, like if you were going to marry someone, your family would go and make an arrangement for, for economic reasons, right? Or um, if you were in the rare instance of somebody who actually loved their spouse, um, you would like make your arrangement and then you'd go to your family and like, like set up for the marriage to happen. But it wasn't like you would date, no, well, I don't like him that much, so I'm going to go date somebody else, you know, and, oh, well, they're boring, so let's, you know, bad breath, let's go, some, you know, it's not like that. Um, that's a fairly modern occurrence. In the ancient world, it was just, it was just different. I mean, you, it, very arranged, very economical, very family-oriented. Um, and so in the ancient world, when you were betrothed, there were two stages um, to betrothal. There was uh, the initial contact, right, where, like, like there would be negotiations either between the, the bride and groom, rarely, or the families, far more common. Um, and they would, uh, uh, so that would be that first stage where they'd figure out that this was going to happen. And then the second stage, they would make legal arrangements. And the point between the legal arrangement and the actual wedding um, would take place. And it was betrothal. And you were considered to be married like in a legal sense with all, without all the fun benefits. Um, of being married. You lived separately and you were abstinent and you did all, I mean, like it was a very serious deal. Um, and in fact, um, it, it, it was considered like there was, there was money that changed hands. And, and I'm, I'm not kidding. Like you, 
There was always money that changed hands in weddings. Um, there are three versions of this. The bride price, which would be where the parents of the groom would pay the family of the bride for the marriage to happen. Right? Romantic. Um, <laughs> the dowry. I always tease my wife about this. When we got married, she had a pickup truck that had belonged to her father that became my truck. And I always said, well, that was my dowry. I, I got a pickup truck in exchange for marrying her. And don't worry, it was a good truck. It was a Nissan. Um, <laughs> it didn't break down for a long time. Um, and, and so, you you know, like where the groom would pay for the wife, you know, the purchase price. Um, and then, like, actually, sometimes there was a deal where, like, the groom would give a gift uh, to the bride herself to show her honor, right? And and so you would give her this money. and and But anyway, like, like the point I'm with explaining all of this is um, this was a significant legal arrangement, right? This was not taken lightly. There were no Elvis chapels, right? You did not run off to to Vegas and South Tel Aviv and get married and and head home. It did not happen, right? There were serious customs and there were laws and everything else that were all applying to it. Um, So much so that even when you got to the second stage, which is the actual wedding, the marriage, um, there would be a witness to the consummation of the marriage, um, like who would listen, not watch. That's weird. Um, and then they would bring out the sheets to demonstrate that there were blood on the sheets to show that she was, in fact, like like a, a virgin when she was married. And, I mean, this is a big deal. If you, like, did this and she was not a virgin, actually, like, it was a legal requirement that you divorce. Like, they took this seriously. And, in fact, there were fines associated with it with the bride's family. I mean, it was a huge deal. And they were serious, very serious about it. So as we dive into this, um, as we dive into this, it's important to keep this in mind how serious it was. Because, um, verse 18, now, mind you, there is a difference here between Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel. Luke focuses on Mary's story. Right, And Luke has all of the really cool narrative about the angel coming to Mary and her singing songs about it and seeing her cousin and uh, John the Baptist and you know all of this stuff. Matthew is not interested in that stuff. Matthew is interested in Jesus is you know, king of the universe. And so his story emphasizes that. And so he follows Joseph's story because kingly lineage follows through the father. Um, now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, so they are legally contracted to Mary. Money has changed hands. They're just waiting for the date to get there. Before they came together, meaning before they like consummated their marriage, um, she was found with child from the Holy Spirit. Okay. So Matthew jumps over a huge chunk of the story, not interested in what Mary went through, right? Um, and instead says, hey, there's this legal arrangement. They're ready to get to actually get married, but before they began to like, like sleep together and all this, Mary um, was found to be with child. Uh, the way this is phrased in Greek, it implies she didn't bother to hide it. You know what I mean? I mean, I guess you can hide being pregnant. I have no idea. I've never tried. Um, but there was this, this discovery. Suddenly, she is pregnant um, by the Holy Spirit, and we know that because she was told that, but he's about to. Um, but for a man who's betrothed to suddenly discover that his wife, who he's not been with, is pregnant, it tends to point in negative directions. Can we all agree? Um, I mean, babies come from somewhere. If you don't know, ask 
your parents when you get home. Um, <laughs> the, unless you're my children, in which case don't. Um, <laughs> or ask your mother. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, they're, they're engaged, not married, legally obligated, and suddenly she's pregnant. Now, in the ancient world, you could be executed for this. They could literally bring Mary into a public place and beat her to death for having gotten pregnant in advance of having gotten married, right? Um, she would be very shamed at a minimum. Um, her standing in the community would become non-existent, right? Her friends wouldn't associate with her. Uh, we read about the Samaritan woman where she would go to the well in the middle of the day, like, you know, it's 130 degrees outside, and she goes to drag gallons of water home. You know, she did that because it's the smart thing to do in the middle of the day, right? Nope. It's because she was considered to be of loose morals. And so for her to go and get water, you know, with everyone else was not acceptable. She had to go at a different time. She might be expelled from the synagogue. She might, I mean, there were all of these negative consequences for her having committed adultery. And in the ancient world, betrothal meant adultery, right? Like, they were legally married at this point. The only thing that hadn't happened is they hadn't gotten married. Um, but as far as the law was concerned, they were married. And so we know that the Holy Spirit did this. But from the outside, Joseph finds out that she's pregnant and, hit, oh, so she's committed adultery now. And the response is, well, I have to divorce her. Um, because that was the law. In the ancient world, you had to divorce for this, like the, for the Jewish people, it was not legal to say, oh, she committed adultery, but I'm going to overlook it and get married anyway. Not at all. The, the assumption for the rabbis at the time was the moment that she committed adultery, that nullified the, the marriage contract before God. And the only thing left to do was to create the certificate of divorce and execute her. Um, and, and that was it. This is, this is a hard story, isn't it? I mean, like you think about the position Mary's in. Um, for a long time, they assumed that she was probably in her early teens. She may have been actually 18. Rabbis at the time talk about marriage happening with women in closer to the year 18. But 18 is still pretty young for this. You know, like, oh, my gosh, I'm pregnant, and people are going to find out. And, you know, and she didn't, you know, she didn't even do anything like, like, oh, all right, I'm not going to get into that. Um, and her husband, Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quickly. So what Joseph decides to do is instead of putting her out in public to be humiliated, he decides to do it quietly and quickly just to kind of sever it, right? Joseph is in a legal position to file a lawsuit, right? Wouldn't that be great? Uh, no, I'm, it wouldn't be. That's awful. I, <laughs> local, like, but Joseph is in a position where he, he, is, he is able to be vindictive and nasty if he wants. But Joseph is a good guy. Um, Joseph is unwilling to, to, to put her up for ridicule. He's unwilling to expose her to nasty legal consequences. He's actually unwilling to ruin the rest of his life or her life. I mean, and he could ruin the rest of her life, but he didn't do it. Um, because Joseph is a good guy. Um, I'm, I'm going through the passage quick. We're going to back up and look at some of the more meaty substance here in a little bit. Um, but up front, like, be aware, like, when God picked someone, he picked Mary, who was, who was pretty awesome, and Joseph, who, is, it turns out, was, was actually pretty exemplary, right? Like, if, if God had picked out, you know, Mary and then Joseph had been kind of a jerk, 
You know, he could have immediately dragged her into the public square and humiliated her. He didn't do it. Um, Joseph was a good guy. Um, so he discovers he's probably heartbroken and hurt. He backs up. Um, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. By the way, son of David, remember from last week we talked about this? David was the king, like the first serious king in Israel. And God promised David, one of your descendants will be on the throne in Israel forever. And that goes all the way up until Jeremiah comes along and says, you know what? This last king, you are so awful that, like, there isn't going to be any of your sons on the throne. You're, you're the end of the line. And there's no more Davidic kings until Jesus shows up. Um, Jesus is sort of the, the replacement for this, but he's not. Anyway, we talked about it last week. I'm not explaining it all. But the fact that Matthew mentions son of David is because he's saying, hey, there's a connection here, right? This is happening. This is God fulfilling his promise. Um, this is the king of the Jews showing up. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, watch this. The, there's, there's some cool stuff that's happening here, right? Um, and this is the mountain moment, right? This is the snowflakes in her hair on the perfect Christmas evening moment, right? Back up and look at this and and see what's happening. Um, God has come to this man, Joseph, who's a good guy, and said, Joseph, in your lineage, my whole promise is coming true. Like, I have arranged all of history for you guys, and you are standing at the pinnacle of it, right? This is the moment. It's all happening now. And, and it, is, it is this perfect moment. Um, what's conceived in her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Um, this is a, a really unusual circumstance. Can we agree to that? It is incredibly unusual for women to get pregnant without having been with anyone. Like, virgin women do not have babies, right? Like, it just doesn't happen. Um, the Holy Spirit, who basically makes his major debut in the scriptures at this point, he's alluded to and acknowledged and mentioned in the Old Testament, but now he shows up and he, like, like puts a baby in Mary. Like, like the incarnation happens. And let's, let's be clear on this. The incarnation is the eternal God who created the world, like we, we learn in the scriptures that, through Jesus, the whole creation happened. Like, Jesus is the action arm of God. Um, through him, all things were created. That God has stepped into our world. This infinite God becomes a finite man. Um, God who is so far away. God who speaks and the world shakes, right? You know, it says that when Moses stood, stood in God's presence and talked to him, he came out and he glowed, right? <laughs> um, we see where Isaiah sees God, not even his face. He just sees God and his glory, and he falls down and cries and says, I'm ruined, like I'm going to die because I've seen God. I'm in trouble. It drives him nuts. Um, we see where God speaks, and, and literally the world trembles. Um, the Ark of the Covenant, which is where God's glory was manifest during the ancient worship services, a man touches it and dies immediately. I mean, this is God. Holy, set apart, different, eternal, 
like amazing God born. I, I say this a lot, but I'm going to say it again. Babies being born is gross, right? It is, it is bloody and painful, and it, it doesn't smell very good, and, and I can't imagine going through it, right? I'm really glad I don't remember any of that. Um, but I've seen babies being born. It is not a pleasant thing, right? And you say, oh, it's so beautiful. No, it's not. I mean, it's beautiful you get to hold a new human being, but it, that, the beauty starts about three minutes later once it's been cleaned up and, and you know, everything and all the screaming is done and, and nobody's threatening to kill anyone anymore. Not that that happens, but hypothetically speaking. <laughs> um, but that God stepped into our world for that because God loves you that much. I mean, can you imagine a God you know, who's worshipped by angels 24-7, lowering himself like that because he loves you. I mean, wow. Um, and so the Holy Spirit makes his debut and says, God is coming into this world. And, and why, by the way, why? Um, I thought about putting a ladder here um, because there are things um, I, I can't reach. Like if I had to take that projector down, like, I, I, I might stack things, but I probably hurt myself, right? Like, me getting up there, that's enough out of you, lady. <laughs> me getting up there, people who are listening to the sermon online or have no idea what's going on. I, I, for me to get up there to get that would be dangerous, right? I am not changing light bulbs up here, although some people point out there are already bulbs out up in the chandeliers. Like, I'm not going up there. It is impossible for me to reach that high. And for me to figure out how to reach that high is difficult. Even for me to stand on a ladder, I would probably hurt myself, right? Like, it's just not happening. Um, We live in a universe where we are fallen and we are broken and we screw up and we fail and we sin and we rebel and we have, like, Sometimes we, even in our best days, like our best thoughts and actions are so small compared to what God expects of us. Um, we can never, ever climb that high. Like we live in a world where, where God is so up there and we cannot climb to him and God recognizes it. And he loves us like his children because we are his creation. We are his children. And so that God, instead of expecting us to obey laws to the point of misery, right? That's how the Pharisees tried to do it. You know, don't go to the bathroom on the Sabbath. It might be work. If we accidentally break the Sabbath law, we're in trouble. How crazy is that, right? Oh, we got to know where every piece of food we eat came from because we don't want to accidentally eat something that might make God angry. Really? Um, like, they, they live this painful existence trying to earn their way to God, but God recognizes that we cannot earn it, and so instead of him expecting us to climb to him, he comes to us. Right? He steps down from on high to our place because we can't get to him. I, uh, I learned that when I worked in the children's home, when, when you'd work with these, these kids. Um, sometimes the best thing you could do when you had a conversation with them was to sit down on the floor and look at them eye to eye because they were so used to people looking down on them and talking. Right? You all ever feel that way? Somebody... I mean, to get down on someone's level and look at them, and that is what God does. That's what the Holy Spirit did here. That is what the angel is announcing. By the way, this is an angel speaking, right? I mean, that's easy to kind of brush over. Like, we like angels. You know, we we have weird psychic commercials about them and stuff. Angels are God's voice, 
in this world. They are his announcers. They show up and speak on God's behalf because, again, God is so big and holy and sometimes honestly scary that he needs people to speak on his behalf in intermediary. So these angels, like, they come now and again, but this angel, this is Gabriel, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. My memory's not that good. Um, shows up and talks to, to Joseph. So we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Son of God, the Son of God, and we have an angel all showing up. And how, how many times have you all heard this story? I mean, I, <laughs> I can't even count. But it's easy to lose perspective on how big a deal this is. She will bear a son, and, we, and you will call his name Jesus. Um, that's kind of the Greekization of that name. It's like Yeshua would be the, right? My, my Hebrew is really bad. Um, but it means God saves, right? Like, so you will name him God saves, for you will save his people from their sins. Um, and that's exactly what, like, like, is being announced here. Hey, all of that garbage that you lay in bed and think about, all of that garbage that you really hope nobody ever discovers, all of that garbage that you've got carrying around in your heart and in your soul, even the stuff that you struggle with day and night and you can't seem to beat, um, all of that brokenness and dirt and filth and nastiness in the world, God is going to step into our world, humiliate himself on our behalf to save us from that. Wow. I don't know. Yesterday I was driving along and I, 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 I like driving long distance, not because I like driving. I actually hate driving. Um, I have the attention span of a goldfish. And so part of my frustration with driving is that I have to, every five minutes, my wife says, Eric, pay attention. You know, oh, sorry. Um, but I, I drive on long trips because otherwise I don't watch. You know what I mean? You know, we're, we're driving and, and, and you just, you know, Montana is beautiful, isn't it? Like, and it, it's good to stop every once in a while and just soak it up. And this would be one of those things. Stop for a moment and soak it up. God arranged all of history for this moment to take place. The Holy Spirit makes his entrance into the stage. The Son of God. God literally is born of a human so that he can save us from our sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. This is an aside by Matthew. Matthew just sort of like inserts this thing. Um, all this was spoken to take place, what was, excuse me, to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Excuse me. This is uh, from Isaiah. And what's going on when Isaiah said this is King Ahaz, who was the king at the time, and he was kind of a turkey, um, King Ahaz is going to be destroyed because two opposing armies are about to come in and, and, and kill him and his family and all this. And he repents and he begs Isaiah to save him. And Isaiah says, well, you know what? God will take care of you this time. And he says, well, how do I know that's really going to happen? Which, by the way, is an obnoxious thing to say. Like, how do I know God's going to save me? Can you give me some proof? <laughs> and Isaiah utters this prophecy. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Um, it's not clear. I, I'm going to tell you, when I studied in seminary, I, I, like we literally spent weeks discussing this passage. Isn't that weird? Weeks? There's not a whole lot there. But all of this discussion about, well, is it virgin or maiden? Is it referring to this or that? Probably what happened is Isaiah's talking about a young woman in the harem, 
of the king who was a virgin at the time. And he's probably saying, hey, this young woman who is a virgin now, she will, she'll have a child. And, and you'll know when that child is here that God is taking care of you. Um, it was no guarantee that you would conceive with a woman, right? And a lot of times there was absolutely no guarantee, like, that they would have a baby and live. Um, mortality rate in the ancient world was so common. Actually, even up to the medieval era, women would write wills when they got pregnant, because <laughs> it was a really, really serious thing. You might not survive it. I mean, it was a, the death rate for birth was like 30% or something. I mean, it was just not a guarantee. Um, and so, like, for him to say, hey, this woman who is a virgin will have a child, and, and the son will be there, and you'll call him Emmanuel. God is with us, meaning God has delivered us from this thing. But when he says this, this is an early kind of weird prophecy that points forward to Jesus coming, Right? It's uh, called typology, is the tupos is the Greek word. I've talked about it a bunch of times. Um, and it refers to something that points forward to Jesus coming. And that's what Matthew sort of unfolds. He says, hey, look at this. This son, who's probably in the line of David, because he would have been Ahaz's son, probably, um, he was born of a virgin, and the same thing is happening now. And it is Emmanuel, God with us. And literally, God with us. Right? How often... I don't know. I used to work with uh, with uh, folks who didn't believe in God often. You know, I didn't. I I used to work exclusively with people who didn't believe in God, and I would often hear them say, "If I could just see Him, if God would just show up, if God would just be with me for a little while, if He would." I mean, have you all ever felt that? God, can you just show up? Can, can you just be here for five minutes? This is the promise that's being fulfilled. By the way, again, this is another mountain moment, right? Job said that. God, do you even have eyes of flesh? Can you see the world like I see it? Do you understand what it's like to suffer? Do you understand what it's like to be in this world like me? Do you understand? And this is God's response. I will be with you. God is with us. Um, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, think about that for you. You know, we talk about he came for the sins of humanity. He, he came for you, you in particular. Like, Jesus came to carry your sins so that you could be united with God the Father, so that you could be saved from yourself, so that you could be born into something new. By the way, there's a cool little parallel there, and a lot of, a lot of people argue this is part of what Matthew was, was emphasizing here is, born of a virgin, like, and then, like John tells us about Jesus arguing with... Uh, um, one of the Pharisees, he says, unless you were born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. Well, how do you get born again? Can you go back in your mother's womb? And, well, do you really not understand what I'm talking about? And great argument. It's in John 3, one of the coolest passages in the Bible. Um, but, like, what happens with us when we believe in Christ and we're, like, his death for us on the cross, taking punishment on our behalf, we become new creations, right? What, when that happens, what happens is the Holy Spirit reaches in and he, like, remakes you. And you're born as this brand new person. And, and, like, no father, miraculous, new life, the whole nine yards. Like, when we see Jesus born, we see a prototype of what happens with all believers. Isn't that cool? It's another mountain moment, right? Just stop and appreciate, like, this didn't happen accidentally. Like, God lined it all up and thought it out very carefully, and it all is just there, and it's beautiful. And it's easy to miss how beautiful and astonishing it is because we do it every year, 
right? We do it every year. My wife, I'm sure, is tired of hearing me complain about Christmas sermons because, um, because there is a limited number of passages, and I want to try and bring something unique and new to you every time so that you can, like, learn and, you know, encounter something cool and new. But, like, the old thing is beautiful. The bear paws have been there. Lewis and Clark probably saw them, right? I mean, they've been there a while. And before Lewis and Clark saw them, there were generations of natives who saw them, right? And before they were there, there were bear and moose and all kinds of other things that saw them, right? And before those bear and moose existed, Craig probably hung out in them. <laughs> the, the bear paws have been beautiful and astonishing since forever and a day ago, right? Since the creation of the world and they broke up through the crust like, like they have been there and they've been beautiful. And they're so amazing, it's easy to forget them. Um, but it's important to stop and remember and just breathe it in and enjoy it. Like God did amazing things on our behalf. And Matthew just, kind of the magic of it is easy to miss. Like a descendant of the king, uh, born of a virgin, which is a sign of what will come with us. Um, the Holy Spirit, angels. And the cool thing is angels are kind of the minor part of the story, aren't they? Like if I ever run into an angel, y'all are going to hear about it. Right, about five minutes before you have me put in an asylum. Like, but angels, angels were so impressive that people like either were terrified of them or tried to worship them. Right, like there was no in between. They were so impressive, and that's the little thing in the story. Wow. But it's easy to brush over it. It's easy to forget it. You know, like my gorgeous wife under that streetlight with snow in her hair and everything else. Like, like it's easy to forget it because you spend every day with it, and it's right there. Um, and it's important to stop and just look and say, wow, wow, this is what God did on our behalf. Wow, this is how far God went. I'm getting repetitive. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and called his name, and he called his name Jesus. Um, there's kind of another neat thing here. Like God picked out somebody, Mary. Mary was along for the ride. She didn't have a lot of choices, Right? I mean, you're pregnant, you're pregnant. That's it. Like, especially in the ancient world, that was it. Um, she, was, she glorified God. She, wasn't, she was afraid, but she trusted. She sang songs. She was like this amazing person. Joseph is in a different spot because people would be whispering about Joseph probably for the rest of his life. Right? I mean, Joseph was betrothed to a woman who was pregnant. He went and married a woman who was pregnant. Joseph's reputation was damaged probably forever. Um, but before God, he was right. And what Joseph cared about more than anything else, which we see in the fact that he was going to protect Mary in the divorce, um, what he cared about was being right before God. And he was obedient, and he married her. And he abstained until after Jesus was born, which I don't think is a small detail, right? I mean, that Joseph was obedient. He was obedient in a way that was really impressive. Um, and, and because of these obedient people, we get to see, like, God's plan fulfilled in this world. Um, there is a little thing here, and I'm not knocking on Catholics, but what it says here is he didn't know her until she had given birth to a son, right? There's this argument that Mary and Joseph never were together. Um, and in reality, like, eventually they were just a regular husband and wife, and they had, like, five more kids, um, Jesus' half-brothers and sisters. There, there's other records of them, but we're not going to get into that today. Um, what do we do with all of this? Because there's a lot of like, a lot of stuff, and it's a lot of stuff that seems really divorced from us. Um, first off, I think the biggest thing we need to do with this is to stop during this season. We need to stop 
and we need to appreciate, right? We need to soak it up. I, I like Christmas music. I do. I would listen to it in the off season, and I have in the past. It drives my wife nuts. Um, I, I like Christmas music. I like hearing about Jesus' born, birth, right? And I don't like the Christmas songs I like. I like We Three Kings, and I like God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, especially when, when <laughs> Nathan sings it. Um, I, I like these things because I like hearing about how far God will go on my behalf, right? I, like, it's important to stop and appreciate it. This is something God did for us. We aren't celebrating presents. We aren't celebrating turkey. We aren't celebrating all of these things. We're celebrating God's action on our behalf, and it is amazing. It is breathtaking. It is beautiful. Um, and it is the ultimate act of love because it was done on your behalf. On your behalf. God aligned the whole universe to save you from yourself. Because you deserve it? No, because God loves you that much. Wow. So that's, what do we do with it? First we do that, right? We stop and we appreciate it. I think it's important, gosh, I think it's important as we appreciate that we talk to God about it. I I used to, I think I spent years thinking my wife was beautiful and never telling her. Isn't that weird? Like, I, I don't think I ever said it to her. I Like, for years in the middle there, I don't think I ever told her how pretty I thought she was. I've always thought she was gorgeous, and I don't think I ever said it. But I think there's importance in that, stopping and saying, God, thank you. Like, what you did here was amazing, and it was beautiful, and it was wonderful. Because part of our relationship with God is our interaction with him. But part of it, too, is talking to other folks about it. Right? I, I'm blessed. I get to stand up and talk to y'all. And I get to stand up and say, you know what? The cool thing about this story is that the angels are the minor players and the least beautiful part, even though, like, they're pretty awesome. Right? I mean, even though they are really impressive, they're the little thing. And so, like, we encounter beautiful things, we talk about them. Star Wars came out on Friday. Right? Have any of y'all heard anybody talk about it? Have any of y'all had to tell anyone to shut up so they don't spoil it? I have. And that's Star Wars. Like, man, I'm sure Star Wars will be great. And believe me, I'm a huge sci-fi geek. Huge. I would argue one of the biggest sci-fi geeks you know. Like, I'm excited to go see this movie. But you know what? Like, that's nothing next to this. We can talk about things we find beautiful. Um, This should be on the list, right? Part of praising God is... Praising God. (laughs) And so as we go through Christmas, it's important that we take the time to praise God, to say, you know what? God did this on my behalf. God's son was born of a virgin so that I could be born of the Holy Spirit, facing new life, facing eternity, because I deserve it? No, because God loves me that much. That's my challenge for you this week is appreciate and talk about it. Um, Hanging on the back on our Charlie Brown Christmas tree, uh, harvested by Craig Edwards at Craig Edwards <laughs> Christmas Tree Emporium. Um, we have Christmas ornaments. Every year I give out Christmas ornaments because I like Christmas. I like giving out presents. Um, this week, all of my ornaments are angels, right, or uh, doves, um, or actually I think there are feathers. And, and the reason I've included this stuff, um, the reason I picked these out is, is I want you to take an ornament with you, and I want you to put it somewhere where you'll remember and where it'll draw things to mind. And I want you to remember that that this is the most amazing season in history, right? 
This is a commemoration of the most amazing moment in history. The moment when God stepped down from on high to down low because we couldn't climb up to on high. The moment when God was, was a man like us. The moment where suddenly God could relate to what it's like to have back problems in the morning. Right? The moment when God could understand what it means to be lonely. What it means to worry about you know, where the next meal might be. That is the moment that God has given us. And so take an ornament, put it somewhere, and remember. Like God sent his, his announcers, and he sent his Holy Spirit so that we could know him. And I close in prayer, um, and, and I'll let you all go. Heavenly Father, I praise you that, that you blessed us in this way. Um, I praise you for the beautiful gift that is this Christmas season, Lord. It's so easy to forget. It's so easy to brush over it. It's so easy to not pay attention. It's so easy to just take it for granted, Lord, but, but there is truly a beautiful and amazing gift that you've given us in, in your son, in your, your salvation this Christmas season. Praise you for all the, all the blessings you give us and, and help us to be people who appreciate it, who, who absorb it and digest it and, and sing praises to you every day. In Jesus' name, amen.